Lab talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab talk with Laura. Always more in store ya. Lab talk with Laura. Welcome to the ninth episode of Lab Talk with Laura. I am joined today by Marcus Cole, who is a graduate student in the Polymer Science Department here at UMass. He's originally from Rochester, New York, but grew up in Alpharetta, Georgia. Did I say that right? Yep, Alpharetta. Uh, just north of Atlanta. He got his bachelor's in chemistry from the University of South Carolina, uh, where he worked with Dr. Brian, oh, I'm going to mess this one up, Benikowitz. Close enough. Okay. <laughs> Working on the synthesis of biocompatible magnetic nanoparticles. Since coming to UMass in 2014, his work has focused on designing electronically active polymers that can be prepared through environmentally friendly polymerization techniques with the goal of enhancing organic solar cell performance and biological imaging. Thank you for joining us, Marcus. You're welcome. Also joining us today is Dr. Todd Emmerich, who is a professor in the Polymer Science Department at UMass, as well as ad adjunct faculty in the Department of Molecular Cell and Cancer Biology at the UMass Medical School. He got his PhD in organic chemistry from the University of Chicago in 1997. Um, working with his students, he has authored over 300 research manuscripts. Um, he spent eight years directing the Materials Research Science and Engineering Center at UMass. Um, and his research focuses on organic and polymer synthesis that targets discovery of functional materials. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Emmerich. Thanks for having us. Also joining as my co-host today is comedian Giancarlo Biondino from Cheshire, Connecticut. Um, and you can catch Giancarlo performing stand-up comedy throughout New England. Thanks for joining us, Giancarlo. You're welcome. So I think um, maybe we'll start with Marcus. Uh, do you want to just tell us about your research? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm a synthetic chemist uh, in Todd's group. Um, so every day I kind of come into the lab with an idea for what kind of molecule I'm really interested in making. Normally it's got some kind of uh, application behind it, whether I want to use it to improve a solar cell or if I want it to emit at a certain wavelength of light and I kind of develop my synthetic techniques around that idea that I've created in my head. And uh, I go grab my glassware and uh, my beakers and everything else I need and start mixing together chemicals in a safe and um, <laughs> precise manner. And uh, normally things change color when the things I want them, uh, or the, when I make the things I want, uh, they normally turn nice like blues or greens. Uh, grays, browns, and blacks are normally not great for my uh, <laughs> field. Really? Yeah. Is that by design, or is that just a coincidence that those um, nicer colors? Are? I I think it's a coincidence, but I also thoroughly enjoy doing what I like to call pretty chemistry. <laughs> so. Cool. So, could you maybe like what are some of the things you've tried to make recently? Is it really every day you come in with a new plan? Uh, normally not a new plan, but normally uh, the same goal is like to get some end um, molecule. Right now, I'm trying to design a new monomer. Um, that uh, has these really unique uh, emission properties. So most materials, uh, when you dissolve them in solution, they're pretty fluorescent. So if they absorb light, they re-emit uh, light at a lower energy. That's just kind of how things work in the um, optically active uh, material world. Uh, these materials, when they're in solution, they actually don't like to emit light. They have other methods of kind of 
dissipating that energy when they get exposed to radiation, but when you get them to aggregate or in, when they're in the solid state, that's actually when they turn on their fluorescence. Uh, so they're called aggregation-induced emission molecules because when they aggregate, they emit. When they're solvated or freely moving in solution, they are dark. Okay, so these are, they were monomers? Yeah. Okay, so can monomers. you... Uh, <laughs> Maybe Please somebody tell monomer. me what that means, and, uh, and Todd can jump in here if he wants. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, Marcus, you can do that much better oh, <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, so a monomer is a small molecule. Uh, small molecules, things like water, um, sugars are small molecules. Uh, monomers specifically are small molecules that we can use to make polymers or macromolecules. Okay, so, so a polymer, is it, is it like a chain of monomers? Yep, it's just a chain of monomers. Okay. So same structure, just kind of repeated n number of times. Okay, so these ones that you were trying to work on, um, you said that when they aggregate, that's when they become fluorescent. Yes. So are they polymers at that point if they're aggregated, or is there a difference between a chain of monomers versus an aggregate? There is a difference. So um, normally your chain of polymers are covalently bound together. Um, okay. These aggregates are just kind of isolated molecules that are all in close proximity together. But there are polymers that are based on non-covalent linkages too, so. Okay. Uh, but no, these are, these are not polymers yet. <laughs> We're diving into the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? With covalent bonds. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, now we're getting like kind of philosophical. What really is a polymer? If it's not just okay. the covalent bonds, it could be a lot of different things. Okay, is this, a, is this an actually, is this a debated question in, in polymer science? Like what is a polymer? What, what's the line? I mean, Todd's been in the field longer, so I think he can answer that question yeah. better. Well, thank you, Marcus. I've been in the field much, much longer. That's a sign of age. <clears throat> yeah, somewhere in the 1930s, um, before, well before I was born, uh, people were still worried about what a polymer was. Is it a collection of stuff, little things that just uh, get near each other and stay near each other? Or is it, as you say, covalently bound uh, molecules? And there were people named Stoudinger and people named Fleury and people named Stockmeyer who worried a lot about that problem. Um, and then it relatively quickly became recognized these are covalently bound um, monomers that come together and make this, this polymer chain. Mm. Um, so yeah, so mono is one, poly is many, then mer is the unit, and that's the nomenclature for the polymer. Is there a more common name for polymer, or is it pretty much uh, is that the simplest word that well, we can you know, come up with? Um, all plastics are polymers, but not okay. all polymers are plastic. Okay. So all this plastic stuff that's around, that's all polymer, but um, polymers can be elastic, or polymers can you know, have many, many. They can be fluidic. Um, they don't have a gas phase, so they're not in the air. Okay, um, so you can't have an airborne polymer. Well, no, you have to really or work you don't. to <laughs> do that. You don't want um, airborne polymers, maybe. I don't. <laughs> do you, John? Yes. <laughs> um, the only thing I got from that is bright colored mixes. That's you everything. Guys vocab is what are you making though? Like what are you? Yeah. What is the Marcus, end result? Bring this, bring this What's to the, right the end level? goal? Yeah, like what are your mixtures for? Uh, so the normally my mixtures are to, to integrate them into some kind of electronic device. So. A lot of these systems that we use are really good at making uh, organic solar cells. So, you know your common silicon solar cell that you'd see on like the roof a lot around here based on like silicon-based materials that they use to convert solar energy into electricity? Silicon solar that, cell. we, solar that cell. I'm thinking of might not be. 
Same stuff that's in like your cell phone or. So you're maybe thinking of silicone. This is maybe a worthwhile thing to. to yeah. What to is the difference into? between a roof and a breast? <laughs> We're on the radio, right? <laughs> <laughs> let, let me, I, may I? May uh, I? Yeah. Okay. So I have a very nice colleague, uh, Thomas J. McCarthy, yeah. in the polymer science department, and he teaches a special topics course called <laughs> called silica, silicon, and silicones. And Tom has a special way of saying that because he's, you know, his Massachusetts upbringing. Anyway, um, and it goes through those differences. So you've got, you know, um, SiO2, sand, right, silica. Uh, and then you've got, you know, silicon, Si, which is your elemental uh, form. And that makes wafers and things for micro, micro excuse me, microelectronics and, and, and devices like that. And then you've got silicones. And silicones um, are SiO-containing polymers but there's an organic part of it that makes it extremely fluidic, gel-like, things of that nature, and that makes it good for lots of um, uh, applications, including the one that you uh, referred to and, and other, <laughs> other applications. The bust. So, so <laughs> for example, um, polydimethylsiloxane, right, a of silicone, course. a silicone fluid, <laughs> um, <coughs> is a liquid um, below two, minus 200 degrees Celsius. It's an extremely unusual uh, polymer, whereas almost all other polymers are going to be solids, um, you know, at those temperatures and well, well above. So it's it's it's, an, it's a very astute uh, question mm. that you ask. So I just wanted to answer it in some yes. detail. So I retained as much of that as I could. So <laughs> silicon is what's in my phone. Uh, and some it's used at least it's used to help make it. Yeah. yeah. Ah, silicone. And there's still some in there for sure. Is an implant, and silica is the stuff in like the little jars that you don't eat? <laughs> don't eat it, silica gel. Silica yeah, gel. okay. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Do, do not eat that stuff. <laughs> Why? Well, it just doesn't digest and it goes to your lungs and it, you know, blah, blah, blah. The silicosis is a, you know. I see. If you breathe in a right. lot of sand at the beach, it's not a great idea. It and can it, like punch holes What in is the lungs? point of it? Like why is it in like a, like a pill jar? Just to get oh, rid of I believe it's a desiccant in yeah. those containers. It absorbs, absorbs water. water. Yeah. Absorb water, so yeah. they don't. Okay. Yeah. So silicon is a really important material. That's sure. the elemental version, right? And so you were saying that we use them in solar cells, um, because. Do you want to explain why we use those in solar cells? Yeah, these are classic semiconductor, inorganic semiconductor materials. So. Um, uh, there have been lots of efforts on the UMass campus in PSE and <coughs> in the chemistry department and physics, lots of departments, um, to improve upon what uh, silicon can do as a solar material, as a semiconductor material, um, uh, with polymers. Uh, um, uh, materials like silicon are, are hard and brittle and uh, heavy. Uh, materials that are polymers are flexible, can be mm. coated uh, on all sorts of things, including fabrics, uh, um, any sort of device. Uh, and so you can make bendable, flexible electronics that's harder to do with inorganic. So mm. that's the, the, the long and short of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so silicon is a semiconductor, and that's important for um, converting solar energy into yeah, for, electricity. Yeah, for lots of things, for all sorts of devices. Um, mm -hmm. That's a, a very, very useful material and obviously abundant uh, material. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are, this is actually not my field, so I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> on the cutting, I'm on the edge of ignorance here. Okay. Um, but there are nice ways to take um, silicon and, and refine it into, um, uh, into crystalline material that is perfect for those kinds of 
uh, of applications. So, right, and yeah. so a semiconductor, I'm just trying to kind of lay the foundation here of like what's a semiconductor and why is that useful? Um, so for people who maybe aren't as used to talking about semiconductors, yeah, yeah. Um, it's something that conducts sometimes, right? Yeah, well, it's like, condu Marcus like metal is, is conductive. Yeah, right. No, then Marcus is a true expert here, but sure. <laughs> I mean, you have metals that are conductors, you have all kinds of materials that are semiconductors, um, and, and that's usually associated with, with what's called a band gap of those materials. Uh, and so a band gap is just an energy gap uh, between a, a lower energy state and higher energy state. Um, and so uh, we've had, in fact, we could, tell, you know, we could talk a long time about um, where my group started in the old days uh, at UMass, and that was working in the area of quantum dots. And quantum dots are uh, tiny little nanoparticles that, um, uh, that have these um, semiconductor properties. Um, and at the same time, unlike a bulk semiconductor, they're so small that they will kind of pseudo-dissolve in solvents. So you can make solutions of them, you can look at their photoluminescence, you can look at their um, all kinds of, uh, of emission properties um, and, make, uh, and make devices from them. So um, my interest in semiconductors was not uh, included the, uh, the semiconductor component of it, but it involved trying to make uh, semiconductors of that sort more like polymers. So we would take these little quantum dots that are inorganic and we would literally decorate them with polymer chains and so they look like little hairs coming off the semiconductor object and, um, and that would make them soluble in whatever solvent we wanted or miscible with whatever polymer we wanted and that made them useful for devices. Mm. Um, and those quantum dots um, have come a long way. Today uh, quantum dots of that type are used in QLED um, uh, screens. If you go to Target, you can um, see the difference between a, a $600 television and a $2,200 screen. Um, and the $2,200 screen that has incredible quality, just mm. you can't believe what you're looking at. That's a QLED, that's a, has a quantum dot component in there. Oh, is and the Q for quantum? Yeah, and it makes it, um, oh. it just is exceptionally beautiful. Is it QLED, Q, like LED lights? Like that. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so quantum LED. Yeah. But that's a, I don't do a lot of TV shopping actually, so I wasn't familiar, but now I'll go look. I, I don't either. My children like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so quantum dots. And so those are useful. You can dissolve, you can make them into solvents. They look like they're dissolved, so you can make mm -hmm. a, a homogeneous, clear solution. Um, I say they're not dissolved because uh, it doesn't matter why. They're, um, sus they're suspended in a solution? They're stably suspended, but okay. they look dissolved to your eye. They're huh. so small, of course, you can't see them, but they're right. beyond so small. They're just tiny little uh, particles. Um, so they look like they're in solution. Okay. Effectively, they are. And is that what, what makes that especially useful? Is that make it easier to distribute them on a surface? Yeah. Or something now like you that? want to spin coat and 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 make uh, arrays of them. Oh, so you um, could like spray them on. Oh, something? sure. Okay. Um, Mike Barnes in the chemistry department has done some really pretty experiments where you spray them onto substrates, uh, and then watch. You you can you can then study optically uh, arrays of them and watch them communicate or you can study them individually uh, and watch exactly what each uh, particle is doing huh. um, electronically. Uh, huh. And so you can really do a lot with these structures. So maybe I want to bring it back to Marcus. And so you're, um, so you, this is the kind of stuff that you're trying to synthesize or is it different from um, what you've been working on? Similar motivation, different uh, techniques, okay. uh, some different materials. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all around the kind of idea of replacing or finding alternatives to conventional inorganic semiconductors with organic systems. And um, what I really like to do is use different kinds of 
um, synthetic techniques to make these polymers. So one of the major ways that semiconducting polymers are made are through metal catalyzed uh, reactions. Okay. Um, and so one of the, the benefits of using an organic semiconductor is that you're going to get rid of the metal component, but if you're using a metal to actually make these materials, you now have this uh, um, impurity, in maybe in low quantities, but it's still present in the material. Mm. So uh, most of my work is developing new monomers that don't actually need a metal catalyst. You can make your polymers with them without having to use these catalysts. And Are the byproducts you produce safe for the environment? Um, we handle them in a safe way. So You can't um, just like, dump them in the sink? No, you cannot dump these um, any of these byproducts in the sink. Uh, they're all properly labeled, whether we've got some halogenated species, non-halogenated species, separating out aqueous waste from non-aqueous waste, separating the, out the aqueous waste from acidic and basic waste because you don't want to mix the two because it's a very violent reaction when you mix acids and bases. I see. Generate a lot of gas and heat. Um, so where are they disposed? Uh, they're disposed um, first in secondary containers and then in our labs and then the environmental health and safety um, department here at UMass comes and picks up all of our uh, waste and then they take it to another site to actually uh, dispose of it and um, break it down. I'm pretty sure it's some kind of high temperature technique to just actually uh, destroy everything that was in there. Um, but I'm not super familiar with what happens after it leaves the lab. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you like, like, do you? So, have you made like polymers for the uh, the things for the TV for like a really nice TV? Are you one of those guys that would buy that TV, or are you cool with like a poor quality? Like, I don't care TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm I'm, I'm somewhere. No, it isn't, but it, I mean, it's it, just it really is. I'm I'm somewhere in between. I you know I looked hard at that TV, and my my son was sort of nudging me for it, but there's other stuff to buy, right? So. I just am fine with the TV. <laughs> well, yeah. let me tell you this. In, um, in 2008, I hosted my friend Matt Francis, who's a chemist at the University of California, Berkeley. I hosted him here for a seminar. He's a brilliant chemist. And he gave a seminar in polymer science and afterwards um, came to my house for dinner and had a, him over and a few students over. And this is 2008. And you watching VHS. Well, almost. <laughs> you know, he was looking at my TV and just shaking his head. And, you know, um, he stayed over that night and... The next morning we got up, he said, Todd, we're going to the store. And he, <laughs> he made me buy a new TV. He just forced you into $2,200 in No, that, that was 2008. I don't remember what it cost. It was a $2,100. Um, but that's the TV I bought before I was at Target two months ago. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm about every 10 years to find a TV. Yeah. yeah. I'm one How about of those you? Guys. What's your TV like? I'm one of those guys I don't think technology should keep growing. I think oh. we should have stopped in the 90s. Oh. I'm serious. Like, I don't agree with Alexa and Cortana and stuff mm. like that. Like, I, don't, I think it's, it's not helping humanity. It's just making us, like, you could order Chinese food from bed just by yelling. Right. <laughs> and she'll do it. You could just yell at Cortana, and she'll do it for you. Right. So you'd you know? rather have a, a grapefruit tree out your window. You can reach out. And I'd rather, like, you can, I don't, you know, like Uber Eats. Like, yeah. I don't think that's, that's gluttonous. I don't think that's a good idea because, what, like, what is that? What's Uber, Uber Eats is a taxi that'll pick you up whatever you want, I see. and then drop it off at your door. 
It's just and like, food delivery. It's, dis- it's for it's any for food. Because it doesn't, like, if the place doesn't do you delivery, could, which means you should go and pick it up yourself. <laughs> exactly. Eats you can is hire your somebody else. Yeah. yeah. You could get the fries from McDonald's, the burgers from Burger King, <laughs> the nuggets from Wendy's. So you're saying Delivered that, to your bedroom. That we don't have to move anymore. We can just. That's it. That's right. part of the agreement. It's because the FDA knows McDonald's is trash food. And the only reason they keep it open is because we had to get up and go get it. Yeah, I understand. And now that's over. I so are McDonald's going to close down now? I think, no, Uber Eats should. <laughs> that was part of the agreement. <laughs> that was part of <laughs> the agreement. <laughs> we'll let you have FDA. McDonald's as long as you burn the calories <laughs> to get it. But now we can just... Hmm. Cortana, order. <laughs> like, we should have her, like, limit us, you know? Be like, Cortana, order me uh. McDonald's. I'm sorry, Giancarlo, <laughs> I can't do that. And be like, I will like, override I will unplug you. <laughs> Order me food. And then she'll be like, calling veggie vegan delights. And then so it'll help humanity. Yeah. But it's never. You were saying about polymer? <laughs> no, so I, I'm curious. I like your points. I, these are good points. I'm curious, Giancarlo. Um, if, undermining if your you, doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, uh, if you feel this way also about like advancing solar technology. So we're talking about like. No, solar I'm for. Okay. I just don't agree you're, with humanity. Okay, so you're, okay. you're pro-technologies that don't directly help humans, but in more indirect ways do. Well, <laughs> in, in an environmentally or, safe way, or I think really solar helping. power is fantastic. Right. But I don't think that the, the <laughs> seven deadly sins of food delivery hmm. is a good idea. I, I really don't, yeah. and I don't. And I'm not even trying to be funny. I really think that <laughs> there should be limits on what we can have. But I mean, there's no, I don't know, is there a negative to solar energy? Well, I think the upside is, is, is uh, immense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I like that, that field. I'm not one to overstate things. I think we have energy from, obviously from oil <coughs> uh, and from solar and from natural gas. And you want to, you want to tap all the best sources in the best locations, um, you know, sort of like, um, uh, you know, local farming, <laughs> right? You want to yeah. take what, you know, what's best around you um, and do it and do it responsibly. Um, solar is tricky. You know, so look, 10 or 15 years ago, organic solar was was laughed at. You know, it's will it ever get to a, a proper uh, efficiency? And, and so the strides that have been made have been tremendous. Um, that only happens if you really try and really trying means um, large government investment, large corporate investment, collaboration among all kinds of scientists that work on that problem together. That's how it happens. So, um, so yeah, so I think solar is, uh, uh, is really worth doing, um, for sure. Um, I don't know about clean coal. Uh, but, um, <laughs> clean coal? Well, is that what you said? Yes. Okay. As a, so, you're, so you're saying you agree with like spreading our energy dependence on lots of different sources, I but maybe not I don't see so any other coal. way. Well, I'm, I'm, I actually have, um, I'm, I'm neutral on that. Oh. Um, I just don't know much about it. Oh. Um, it. You know, it's one of those things that sounds old, because it is, um, but that doesn't mean there's nothing there for the future. Yeah. Uh, we haven't mentioned nuclear. Um, maybe we don't have to, but... Um, uh, it's still out there too. At this rate, when will we run out of oil? You know, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not the authority on that at all. Um, I can say that, that the last time I checked, there was an, an enormous amount of oil right, left. Is uh, it all accessible? Well, um, no, uh, it's not. Um, again, what is, where is it on a inaccessible? Well, I think, you know, you know, if you have to go this many miles into the ocean and then go, and then go this deep, 
uh, and, and you know it, it's just a major investment to even find it. But this is what this is what many companies do. Yeah, hmm. I can I can comment on this a little bit because yeah, I'm you a, would know a lot. I'm a geologist, <laughs> so uh, you know we look oh, yeah, inside the earth for oil. Um, <laughs> well, so the amount of oil, I don't. There are projections. It's kind of hard to specifically say how much oil there is, and it's what changes is what what oil. Yeah, like how hard is it to get it, and that the amount, the price of oil determines if it's worth it or not, basically, to continue trying to get those last little drops. So it's basically like the earth, you could think of the earth as like a sponge, and we had like, it was soaked up with oil, and we squeezed out probably more than half of it. Mm. And now it gets harder and harder to squeeze out those last little bits. And so then they've come up with new processes, like deeper ocean drilling or hydrofracking, where they like inject a bunch high pressure fluids under the ground to try to like squeeze out little like more distributed pieces of gas and things like that. So mm. it's getting harder, more expensive, more environmentally potentially catastrophic to try to get that last little bit out. But it's still there and it's still a lot actually, you know, for our purposes. But yeah. I think clearly there's a need to move towards other energy sources. Yeah, and Laura, as, as I think you know well, is, is that <clears throat> any time you try to recover a, a source of energy, there are complications connected to it. And, and so, for example, the fracking um, uh, technology uses an enormous amount of water mm -hmm. uh, and that water um, once it's used is impure and it's full of oily stuff uh, and so how do you clean it up and so we're pretty good at creating problems that then we need to find solutions for uh, so for example <laughs> yeah. yeah right um, you know we create technologies based on problems that we create and so yeah. um, cleaning up water uh, from those sources uses membranes uh, and and um, on this campus and many campuses and many um, obviously many companies, um, making better membranes for purifying water uh, mm. is a major effort. Um, and one of the one of the drivers for that is is that we make water unclean. Yeah, <laughs> right now they kind of just dump it. Right. <laughs> they dump it under the ground, sometimes producing earthquakes. Subsurface. Um, uh, yeah. Whatever, sometimes you know. they dump it in rivers. Sometimes they sell it to communities to put on their roads as salt uh, replacement. Mm. Um, that so sounds they're spreading it all over good. the ground. Mm. Maybe good. Maybe <laughs> bad if, it, if it's hazardous it. and they're just spreading it all over the ground. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. I understand. This is sort of a, <laughs> a little bit of a divergence. That's okay. <laughs> it, it's all relevant. Yeah. yeah. It's all interconnected. And the, in the in the vein of like environmental contamination, so Marcus, you mentioned that um, looking for more sustainable processes to create these polymers is part of your work. Yeah. Can you talk about that, maybe? Um, like yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I guess kind of to go back to like we were talking about oil is that um, so basically all the mo molecules and the organic materials that we make in labs and that are going to your plastic bags, um, coatings. All of that um, starting material basically comes from uh, oil refining, mm -hmm. like all of these organics. Like that's in we still we need oil refining so that we can get ethylene, so that we can make polyethylene, so that you can still use plastic bags. Mm -hmm. If you go in the store, you need a trash bag. That all relies on that. But um, in terms of trying to find small um, areas where you can do something to make something a little bit more sustainable, is kind of where I like work. Like the the techniques I'm using aren't the most commercially relevant, but investigating the technology that could maybe lead to something that like, oh, this is a completely new way to make these kinds of polymers. It's gonna cut down the amount of uh, metals that leach into um, drinking water because now we don't need to use those to do these kinds of uh, polymerizations anymore. That would be a great step in the right direction. It kind of starts from these smaller scale 
reactions that we do in our mm. labs to kind of explore are these viable methods for making polymers and are, can they compete with like the um, catalysts that have been working for decades. So you're going to have to do that baseline fundamental research yeah. before you can take it into a... So at the moment, it may not be easier or faster or yeah. safer, but it, in some... It could lead you in a direction yeah. that could so find something. Can't save the world today, but maybe in 20 years down the road, someone will cite one of my papers and that'll lead to some <laughs> fantastic advancement and that guy will get a uh, Nobel Prize and people just remember me. Sorry, Marcus understates the importance. Yeah. Um, they already cite his papers. <laughs> the, the, the point is that, that um, you know, anytime you can make a, a material for electronics without using metals, you have an advantage. Um, mm. And though we have metal parts in electronics, metal contaminants uh, can be catastrophic. Uh, lead to shorting, lead to all sorts of, of problems. So um, keeping metals out of the game is, is good. So that's, a, that's an important advance. Hmm. Why, what is so problematic about having the metals in there? Well, metal contaminants. And so one metal functions in one way. Mm -hmm. When it's in the presence of another, of, the, of another metal, it functions in a different way. Okay. And so that's the issue. It's um, just disrupting those absolutely. processes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're listening to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM, WMUA Amherst. My guests today are Marcus Cole and Dr. Todd Emmerich from the Polymer Science Department at UMass. And my co-host today is comedian Giancarlo Biondino. Jumping right back into it. Um, so, Marcus, you also mentioned biological imaging as part of the work that you do. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a very new... Um, I want to say side project because we haven't actually done any kind of biological imaging with them. <laughs> okay. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, in, designing the, the molecules for imaging and uh, even some therapeutics that you can use, uh, light-absorbing molecules that can be used to kill uh, tumors. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of using – so I was talking about these molecules that when they aggregate or form these structures, they become emissive. Um, and when they're dissolved, they aren't uh, – they're basically dark. So when you put uh, something into like the body and you need to figure out where it's going, if it's just shining light the whole time because it's flowing, that's kind of useless because you're just seeing your uh, analyte or your, your material everywhere. Okay. But if you can design ways so that whenever it uh, comes into contact with uh, an area of interest and it kind of absorbs on top of that or it gets taken up into a cell and then it aggregates when it um, goes inside – and you have that nice turn-on mechanism, that would be where these could really have um, a lot of use. And our group really specializes on designing organic materials that can go into water and biological systems. Okay. Um, kind of trying to mimic uh, some of the functionality that's on the, uh, that makes up your phospholipid uh, bilayer okay. in your cells. Yeah. So this is a good example of a collaborative project. Marcus could never do this on his own. As talented as he is, you know, <laughs> he just couldn't, couldn't do it. Impossible. But, um, uh, <laughs> the, the rudest thing I've ever done. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, you don't he's know a brilliant man, but not alone. <laughs> he needs a group. Let me explain. Um, so we have in our labs uh, a cell culture um, expert, uh, Banishri Saha. And so she's a postdoctoral associate who is a molecular biologist. And so she's very good working with live cells. Um, Marcus has been working with, um, with Sarah Ward, another graduate student in the lab, uh, who has an interest in <coughs> designing um, polymers in water for therapeutics, as well as polymer uh, or material sensors for some of these diagnostic and imaging 
um, applications. Um, and then Shelby Payton in chemical engineering has interests along these lines, and so we're um, starting to collaborate in ways where uh, we can <coughs> um, uh, work with her. She's a real expert in, um, in, uh, in biomaterials and the interactions of synthetic structures with um, in vitro and in vivo um, uh, materials. And so um, we could never do this uh, ourselves, but we collaborate to do it uh, with others. Right, because the, the biology side of this is well, sort of outside your expertise. Or yeah. Very much outside of mine. Yeah, yeah. I, I am no biologist. I, I decided um, 12 years ago that I would really try to learn biology. Okay. And I would do that by making polymers that biologists um, would be interested in. Uh, and by making polymers where we take parts of the cell membrane uh, and figure out how to put it on a synthetic polymer structure. Oh, um, so like combining like what kind of cells? Human cells or yeah, okay, um, cells so and pol like human cells and polymers together. Well, almost Mo motivation from a human <laughs> yeah. cell. So motivation from the yeah. cell. So like synthetically making that same functional group, not like ripping it off of a cell and throwing it onto the polymer, okay. but like doing chemistry that would allow us to get that same structure on a small molecule or mm. a polymer. Okay. Yeah. yeah, biologists, biochemists, they've taught us what is in us. What are mm -hmm. the amino acids? What are the proteins? What is, what is DNA? I mean, all those things, of course, are very well known. Um, what are the organic and other components connected, or organic components, associated with a cell membrane? Um, and that includes, like Marcus mentioned, the phospholipids. And so we use that as a, uh, we could call it a bio-inspired design uh, of synthetic oh. polymers. And so that's what I'm referring to there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bio-inspired design. So what kind of things do these bio-inspired designs do? Can you well, we try, to, we try to use them to deliver drugs. Okay, <coughs> so uh, then it's more compatible with, to interact with the human body kind right. of? Right. Okay. That, that's right. Biocompatible is, is extremely important um, to make things that can be implanted or, uh, for our concerns, in, particularly, uh, in, in particular injected uh, into the body mm -hmm. um, without causing any harm. So as you can imagine, as you, as you know, um, a lot of drugs that are used today uh, are uh, effective in some way therapeutically, but have side effects. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a big effort, um, um, big worldwide effort, obviously not just in my labs, uh, to make um, some of these drugs safer to deliver, uh, package them with polymers. Um, and so we try to make, uh, since we'll never be real medicinal experts, we try to make systems that are um, that are the experts in terms of delivering those structures. And that's really challenging. It's a, it's a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's everything. It's synthetic organic chemistry, it's polymer chemistry, and then it's teaming with biologists in the right way. So why do we have any biology in my labs? That's because we want to be able to do enough that we can show real biologists, um, real medicinal scientists, uh, real doctors, um, here's something that looks promising. Yeah. Um, would you take it further? Um, mm. And so that's where some of the uh, collaborations with the medical school uh, come in, and that's why I'm interested in working together with them. So I'm curious, are any of these things like currently in use in medical technology? Or yeah. Um, so from uh, for in terms of polymers in medicine, that's a, a big field now. Mm -hmm. um, the the big uh, the big one so far is polyethylene oxide or polyethylene glycol PEG. Uh, that you might have heard of. And so pegylated medicine um, is used today. Uh, and that's, um, there have been some blockbuster drugs made by attaching polyethylene glycol 
to, um, uh, to protein uh, therapeutics in particular. Um, we are <coughs> trying to develop um, what we would call PEG alternatives, polymers that are better than PEG, that are more biocompatible, less immunogenic, uh, and that can carry um, a lot more drug. And so they call that the drug capacity or drug loading. PEG can carry small amounts of drug. Our polymers can carry enormous amounts of drug. And uh, so that's where we feel there's a future for these. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of things are, do they, I haven't heard of this. I don't know. John Carly, have you ever heard of this PEG? Peganated, did you say, Charles? Um You could say that. We say pegylated. Pegylated, yeah. I said that right. Sure. I am not f currently familiar <laughs> with um, the last 400 words that you said. <laughs> this is not good. I'm not doing a good job. You're <laughs> doing a great job. <laughs> it's just my education ended. At c I'm a communications major. <laughs> Which I'm, and I tell jokes about traffic and dogs. <laughs> I mean, I respect your work a great deal. It's just hard. It's hard for me to follow the vocab. I really That's, do. Yeah, it's a. It's That's a good why point. we're doing a quiz later, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've um I've heard that you learn more vocab in an intro science class than in an intro language class. That that really. I don't know what those words mean though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't right, know yeah. what that means. No, it's it's it, it. Science does have its hole in language, and that's one of the challenges mm. to communicating. Yeah. I think. Um, we're trying. <laughs> but so I'm um, like, what kind of drugs do they do that with, the, the pegylated drugs? Well, <coughs> that's done with, um, with a lot of protein drugs. Uh, and so, um, uh, you know, um, drugs that are used for hepatitis C, okay. uh, for example, um, have been, there's been a lot of success uh, with the pegylated drugs. Pegylated interferon um, is, has been a very um, uh, uh, highly used, successful product. We try to do it with cancer drugs. Okay. <coughs> we have worked on um, drugs you probably, possibly haven't heard of. Um, th um, and these are organic molecules, uh, drugs like camptothecan, uh, drugs like doxorubicin, um, drugs like temozolomid. And so these are used in, um, in breast cancers and in brain cancers uh, and in um, uh, colorectal cancer. And so um, one of the problems with these drugs is you, you just, there just aren't good ways to deliver them. They're not soluble in water, they're not soluble in injectable saline, uh, and so they, the delivery formulations themselves are already toxic to many, many people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so just coming up with good, safe uh, formulations for delivery, we choose polymers, there's other choices, um, is important. Yeah, so you're basically, so you're creating a polymer that will take the medicine directly to the part of the body that needs it? Yeah, that, that's the idea, and mm -hmm. that is a, is a, um, it's a well-appreciated concept um, in, the, in the area. Still very hard to do. Uh, there's been good progress, but still very hard. So it's actually kind of like the Uber Eats of medicine, is that right? <laughs> well, so a, how do those... Just to tie it all back, I feel like you're, you're like, Cortana, take this medicine. Uh, it's not all yeah. about jokes. Sometimes <laughs> no. it's about... So those three drugs you, you mentioned, so... If they're not soluble in water and you can't inject them, how would a person get them inside them? <clears throat> well, right now there are different kinds of delivery formulations, and I don't know them all. Um, but for example, you would have um, mixtures of surfactants and ethanol. Okay, and and so for example, one one significant problem, um, especially in populations lacking alcohol dehydrogenase, uh, is that when those injections are uh, are given, um, uh, there's an allergic reaction. Um, and that allergic reaction can be significant uh, and can, you know, can be the stopping point in terms of being able to, to take more drug. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's one example. There are lots of examples of these formulations that 
they just aren't suitable for for everyone and so you know if you can make a safe formulation and apply it to a large range of drugs you have potentially a platform of products that could come out of that so we try to do that you're tr so you're trying to take a drug that works under a microscope and try to make it work in the human body and Is even and even some of these drugs are already being used and working in humans and so we're trying to make them work better now under the microscope yeah uh, so we'll start with our polymers and and connect them to these drugs and then yes we're looking under the microscope we're looking you know we know the drug kills um, some kind of cells right yeah. some kind of cancer cells let's say but just because it works under the microscope doesn't mean it'll work in the body absolutely right that's okay. a, a that you know well um, there's the microscope which is you know in vitro cell culture they call it okay. uh, and then there's the body but usually the first body is mouse Right, and so mm -hmm. getting something to work in a in a laboratory rat, laboratory animal, when that works very well, that is no guarantee um, that it's going to work in other living creatures. <clears throat> so I want to um, ask. So, you know, your research is targeted towards finding functional materials. Um, do you do do you look for materials outside of anything we've discussed so far today that you maybe want to bring up? Sure. Well, you know, I, I, this might get too boring, um, but uh, <laughs> the reality is that I personally, um, professionally, uh, I just like making molecules. Okay. Uh, and so that's my first love, um, is, is designing molecules, designing monomers, designing polymers. And applications are great. Um, we're talking about a lot of applications because to do the research we're talking about requires paying people like Marcus to work in a laboratory. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that requires convincing a federal agency or convincing a company uh, that it's worth doing. Right. That in turn requires that there's some end mission. It, it used to be, in, even when I started, but certainly bef before I started as a, as a professor, that most of that, much of academic science was for the sake of. Uh, and so methodology, how to make molecules, how to design something new, that was pure science. Um, now pure science is still pure science, but it's for the target of. And so almost everything now has a target. And that's why we talk a, a lot about applications. I like to make molecules. So when we come up with new things, um, you know, a monomer no one's ever made. And we realize, you know, no one's made this monomer. Um, Will it polymerize? You don't know that until you, <laughs> until you make this it. This is like the, so this is like the kind of thing that keeps you up at night, like, will it oh, polymerize? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> These are like the questions that are exciting. Sorry, Did I didn't interrupt. That that far and you're I like, saw like a glimmer in your eye. Like, oh, oh, will it it's polymerize? Like all of this stuff worked. It's like, oh yeah, I still have to make the polymer. But I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it, that's what it's all about. You know. Um, Do you feel kind of like an explorer in this? Like most definitely. You, you have the vein of like somebody like discovering new worlds. For kind sure. Of. Yeah. It, it's incredible. Um, it, you know, in, in the in the polymer fields. Uh, polymers are weird, right? So polymers, you never know what properties are going to have. Mm. It's impossible to predict what will be the melting temperature of a polymer just by drawing the structure on paper, oh. right? So you don't know it till you make it. Mm. And, and you can't make it till you have the monomer. Um, and, you know, polymer chemistry has been around now for a long time. Um, it used to be that, that polymers were for industry. Polymer research was for industry and almost nothing was done in academics. And in fact, it's fair to say that UMass 
um, was uh, one of the early leaders in getting polymers into academics, mm. um, for sure was, um, and of course is still a, a major leader um, in the world in, in polymers. Um, but uh, where was I going with this? <laughs> I have no idea where I was going. <laughs> about the things. Oh, that I know you what I was going to say. Uh -huh. yeah. um, so you know, so so coupling, you know, what was an industrial venture, polymers, mm -hmm. you know, plastics. Yeah. Uh, to sort of that pure academic research, that's a very interesting marriage, right? Because now you have, you know, your, your, your pure fundamental chemists starting to think about polymers that have always have a practical value. And that has turned out to be very profitable um, because you just bring in the best of both worlds. So um, that's enjoyable. I really appreciate Todd's view on the enjoying to make molecules. To make molecules because... I mean, I came to this department because I wanted to learn about polymer science, and I was really interested in, yes, the like commercial benefits of these kinds of materials, but I genuinely love going into lab, and I want to make something weird today. Yeah. And if I draw a structure and Todd's like, that looks cool, do it. No, but what are we going to do with it? I love that because I can just do what I like to do, and that's make molecules and then characterize them, and then we can always find an application for something because normally if it's weird enough, you can find something to do with it that no one's ever done before. So weird, just, weird meaning unique. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> unique. <laughs> so you just go in and you make new things and you're like, what does this thing do? Yeah. Let me find out. Yeah, I can see how that's a pretty like thrilling actually area of research. Yeah. Um, and it could be like, I don't know, it's a really nice feeling if you like you make something, you're like, I'm holding the only 200 milligrams of this thing on this planet probably. Right, yeah. Very few people get to say that on a semi-regular <laughs> basis. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing, but... Maybe I could come visit and hold something like that, <laughs> too, just for the experience. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what, when you were, when you were like, talking about, like, the fundamentals of it, it reminded me of that scene in The Graduate. I don't know if you guys get this a lot, actually, when he's just, like, plastics, Ben. Plastics are what it's all about. Do you, is that, like... Marcus, have you ever seen loop? The Graduate? I've never seen The really? Graduate. This yeah. is what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't, they, they I don't, don't know if it... I, I was born in 1992, so I don't know if that really, like, says anything. Uh, you I don't. I, I mean, you should. I, I should. What have year did the graduate come out? I don't know. I was born also well after. That's a good question. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I, I would. You know, that. would you guess? Do 1971? people? I would. I was worried um, that it might be like even old though that you would get that all the time that people like make this joke about that 67. line. Sixty-seven. Oh, definitely go. not. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm impressed you know that. I, I think that that, that joke is, is is almost gone. I don't oh, think really? people. Bring it back. Do you know John Carlo? Have you watched The Graduate? I haven't seen it in forever. Oh, All okay. I know is uh, but, Mrs. Robinson thing. Gotcha, gotcha. But if you're, I'm familiar but with that. If I, yeah. <laughs> if I, if I say Laura, if I look up at your sound system, right, yeah. and I say, you know, um, I say, you know, this goes to eleven. Like, do you know that I'm talking spinal about spinal tap? Oh, yeah, spinal yeah. tap. Okay, okay, yeah. So you know. All right. <laughs> just checking. It doesn't though. I just <laughs> want to set the record straight. Our sound systems only. Okay. Actually, we're just gonna do movie references for the rest of the show. <laughs> Please. Uh, um, so I'm curious though, is there any, like, what are the other, like, have there been any other exciting materials yes. that you've created yeah, that you want to talk about? Um, well, when I started at UMass, uh, <clears throat> I was introduced to a, a topic I'd never heard of before. Um, not really, and that's the area of polymer flammability. And um, uh, Dick Ferris, Richard Ferris, who was my colleague who's since passed away, uh, started a program in the polymer science department um, that involves making and, and understanding 
and using polymers uh, for applications where you need them to not burn. Mm. And so if you think about polymers like polyethylene, well, polyethylene is, is, is a hydrocarbon, and it's uh, essentially a solid form of gasoline. Mm. And so polyethylene burns like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we have, a, um, we have a society where we've produced polymers, and to put them uh, in a hotel or to put them on an airplane or to put them in confined space, they have to be filled with flame retardants. And those flame retardants are... Um, some of them are okay. Some of them are some of the bad actors in 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 terms of environmental uh, issues. So yeah, this actually just came up on the last episode. Somebody oh, studied uh, they studied the toxicology of flame retardants okay. and the ex- long lasting. You know, uh, when you're exposed to that, it just stays in your body for your right. whole life. Yeah, they do. Because yeah. it's lipophilic. Indeed, uh, vocab word that I learned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a lot of us have um, have brominated aromatics coursing through our bloodstream. And, you know, over time, that might not be a good thing. Um, so, so anyway, uh, Professor Ferris started this program, and I've worked on it with uh, several colleagues, Brian Coughlin uh, in polymer science, Alan Lesser um, is a mechanical engineer in polymer science. Um, and we try to make these, uh, these materials. And we have a lot of interest from industry, and we have um, a grant from the Federal Aviation Administration that wants to make a non-flammable uh, airplane. So the aircraft interior, in the event of an accident, um, that, that there's no fire. Uh, and so that's been an ongoing project. This is, we're well over a decade into this uh, project. And it's resulted in um, the preparation of a lot of new materials, uh, several patents, um, uh, a lot of use uh, by companies. Uh, and so that's been, that's been really fun, really exciting. Um, so that's been really good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Any other things that come to mind? I'm just... I just want to find out about, like, what are all the coolest polymers? <laughs> well, you know, Mar- Marcus, what's your favorite polymer? I don't know. I like siloxanes. I like silly putty. Ah, there we it's go. It's like oh, silly, silly putty. It's okay. really fun. It's a practical, if you want, like, a kid to understand a polymer, throw some silly putty yeah. and tell them to play with it. It's okay. like, that's a nice little viscoelastic <laughs> material, but they're fun and they're cool. And they've got a lot of different applications depending on how you make them. So. I'm all about the viscoelastic materials because um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the crust of the earth is also a viscoelastic material. I don't know if you were. I did not know. <laughs> it's a kind of surprising. I'm actually. embarrassed to say I did not it's know that. It's kind of surprising. <laughs> that the, you, you would think that, yeah, should it's exactly on long time scales. Yep. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. I don't know Tom if we should <laughs> maybe break down what viscoelastic <laughs> means. Do you want to okay. know, John? Or? John, I mean, <laughs> it's part of the earth. Like, you, you get, like topsoil, bedrock, silly putty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, um, yeah. Uh, no, so viscoelastic, it's like, so it's describing the way like a material behaves when you push it, basically. And so, like, viscous materials, flow you know like like honey and elastic materials like rubber they rebound they go back to their original shape when you push on them sometimes the earth rebounds and sometimes it flows um it does both of those things and silly putty does the same thing too well i think we're about ready to move on to the last part of the show but i wanted to just give you guys the chance to bring up anything else that's really cool or interesting or important that hasn't come up yet if anything if there's anything that we didn't touch on uh Oh, yeah, a little plug. Um, so outside of just the research oh, yeah. that we do do in lab, um, our department is very involved in community outreach. Uh, we've got um, two programs that really allow us to go out into um, schools with students um, K through 12 and actually introduce them to polymer science. 
And through those programs, we can actually recruit students to a program that we actually have on campus where high school students come in in uh, the winters and actually work in labs with grad students on um, some pre-designed experiments. But the whole goal of both of those two programs is to integrate um, science with the community and also encourage students of all backgrounds to actually get involved in science. And something uh, that's something that I work very closely on as well as a Sarah Ward and um, other students at uh, UMS um, do. So just wanted to give a plug to that. Yeah, that's awesome. Does that program have a name? or? Uh, it... Yeah, the program that we do on campus is ASPIRE. It's an acronym. It's a student-led program for interest in research. And I can't remember what the E is. I'm, I'm very sorry. Sarah <laughs> Edu- knows it a education. lot better. Education. Education. There we go. Thank you. And then the other one's just uh, the Polymer Science and Engineering Outreach. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I like working with uh, personally younger students because uh, yeah. they – they're a lot more willing to kind of accept science for science. Yeah. And they have the best questions. Right, yeah. I was curious if you had any really... Because it's normally related to something fiction related. <laughs> it's like, so the, the Death Star, can you make that with a polymer? <laughs> it's like, I never would have thought about that, but you know what? We're going to try. It's like, right. middle schoolers have the best questions. Yeah, nice. <laughs> okay, so I think we're ready to move on to the last section of the show. Um where we play a game that I invented called GTA. Guess that acronym. Um, and the reason I came up with this game um, is that I think you know in the sciences there's a lot of language that can be intimidating. And especially one thing that we use a lot is acronyms because we talk about something a lot and it, it's easier to use an acronym, but it can be kind of alienating. So here we kind of try to break down some of those acronyms. Okay, so the way the game works is Giancarlo Yes. I'm going to give you some acronyms, and you're going to try to guess what they mean. And, right. then, uh, and then our experts will jump in and maybe enlighten us as what they actually mean, <laughs> unless you um, get them all right, which will be amazing. Amazing. Okay, so <laughs> our first acronym is LUMO, L-U-M-O. This is quite the game you've invented. <laughs> <laughs> Light under most orifices. <laughs> Do you want to tell us what that means, Giancarlo? That means if it's so, it's when you take anything and you put a light underneath it that has a hole. This is that's that's it's really not that bad. Yeah. Okay, does it's, somebody want to jump in with what this actually uh, means? Well, Marks, I'll give you the honor. Um, Lumo mean or stands for. Lowest unoccupied molecular orbital. So do you want to explain what that means? Or can you? Sorry sure. to put you on the spot. Uh, yeah, very quickly. Um, so um, <laughs> a quick. Do you want us to explain what it this means? One's, <laughs> yeah, this so one. um, you uh, kind of to go back to what Todd, it kind of when we were talking about semiconductors, how there's energy levels um, that exist in um, basically all systems. Um, your lowest um unoccupied molecular orbital is this energy state that exists that actually isn't populated by any electrons at a ground state. But there's and no like an quick atom. way to say this. Yeah, there's no easy way. It's so that you have like an atom and it has energy states. Yeah, it's... It's, a, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the one just above the band gap, and so you, you, there's, no, nothing, you, there's nothing in there. Okay. So you got to get over the gap to get anything in there. Yeah. It's unoccupied. Yeah, it's unoccupied. Yeah. Um, also, probably... It's the lowest unoccupied. There's it's the conduction it. band. It's where, all, it's where electrons can actually move around. Okay. We need, they need to be okay. in that lumo to actually go anywhere. Awesome. And, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Now I understand. <laughs> I started. I was like, this is not going to be a 30-second explanation. <laughs> a chart. 
Okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> we have more than 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> um, okay, your next acronym is OPV. Everybody knows that one. That one's um, olives, <laughs> pineapples, and uh, vegetables. <laughs> and it's part of the food science study here at UMass <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, breakthrough technology. <laughs> it's very well said, and that was very close. That actually stands for organic photovoltaics. Okay, so that's what the kind of things you guys are trying to work on. And there's a Lumo connected and they to already that. Exist, that's right? just not even fair. They're, they're so related, you know. That's yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to name, like, the foods that I want to eat right now. <laughs> it's interesting because people do really tend to go to food for the acronyms, actually. We can go somewhere else, but this is daytime <laughs> no, radio. No, I forget what it was. Last week somebody was like, it was like T-R, and they were like turkey, ribs, bacon. <laughs> they just Are there any naming? science departments called BLT? <laughs> Bioluminescent technology. Ah, wow. Now you're on. Really, I am a brilliant man. We got a new Give one. me my doctorate <laughs> in stupidity. Okay. Um, your next acronym is AIE. Uh, almost intelligent elephant. Wow. <laughs> like I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm you guys. I I'm like actually, the alliteration there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you so look like you're in a little bit of pain. I'm bombing so hard <laughs> right now that it's not even funny. This is actually a game I designed to torture a comedian. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because it, I'm only funny at the things I've practiced <laughs> saying. Should I have sent you these acronyms ahead of time? That wouldn't have helped. We should have like like had <laughs> a little like bell that went off every time we used one of the words uh, throughout like, like the take conversation. Note Just like, of this. Next yeah. time. Yeah. We did use a lot of acronyms today. Yeah. A lot of acronyms came up. So AIE uh, stands for aggregation induced emission. I don't know any of those words. <laughs> <laughs> no, emission comes out of a car. What's the first what's A? Aggregation. <laughs> aggregation is farming. <laughs> yes, it is. Agriculture. Marcus, yes, yeah. it is. I know what I'm the word, <laughs> the word aggregate did come up. So aggregate is just when something comes, comes together, together in like a lump, right? And what's yeah, the I? So when we, when we have our comedy open, so ah, aggregate. Like when you give birth. <laughs> sure, like inducing labor. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, so that's what you were talking this about. This is big how leagues. I know. You make those polymers that they only emit light when they're all... Yeah. Lumped together. Yeah. Well, the monomers do. I actually did make the polymer the other day, and it now emits light when it's in solution. So that's a cool little result. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Well, I think that's uh, that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining me, Giancarlo and Marcus and Todd. Thanks for thank having you. me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us on the show. You just listened to Lab Talk with Laura on ninety-one point one FM WMUA Amherst. I'm your host, Laura Federuso. My guests today were PhD student Marcus Cole and Professor Dr. Todd Emmerich from the Polymer Science Department here at UMass. My co-host was comedian Giancarlo Biondino. You can listen to any episode of Lab Talk with Laura on SoundCloud or give us a like on Facebook. Support for online hosting of Lab Talk with Laura is provided by the Emmerich Labs in the Polymer Science Department. Uh, you know all about them, who they are, and what they do now. Um, the jingle at the beginning of our show was written and produced by Matt Woodland. Thank you so much for listening today. Stick around for WMUA News coming right up.